0: Section 25 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Seeger in Chicago. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Kanan. Youth 1, Part 4. There was only one person in the family to whom Christophe paid no attention. This was little Rosa. She was not beautiful, and Christophe, who was far from beautiful himself, was very exacting of beauty in others. He had that calm cruelty of youth, for which a woman does not exist if she be ugly. Unless she has passed the age for inspiring tenderness, and there is then no need to feel for her anything but grave, peaceful, and quasi-religious sentiments. Rosa also was not distinguished by any especial gift, although she was not without intelligence, and she was cursed with a chattering tongue which drove Christophe from her. And he had never taken the trouble to know her, thinking that there was in her nothing to know, and the most he ever did was to glance at her. But she was of better stuff than most girls. She was certainly better than Minna, whom he had so loved. She was a good girl, no coquette, not at all vain, and, until Christophe came, it had never occurred to her that she was plain, or, if it had, it had not worried her, for none of her family bothered about it. Whenever her grandfather or her mother told her so out of a desire to grumble, she only laughed she did not believe it or she attached no importance to it nor did they so many others just as plain and more had found some one to love them the germans are very mildly indulgent to physical imperfections they cannot see them they are even able to embellish them by virtue of an easy imagination which finds unexpected qualities in the face of their desire to make them like the most illustrious examples of human beauty. Old Euler would not have needed much urging to make him declare that his granddaughter had the nose of the Juno Ludovici. Happily, he was too grumpy to pay compliments, and Rosa unconcerned about the shape of her nose, had no vanity except in the accomplishment, with all the ritual, of the famous household duties. She had accepted as gospel all that she had been taught. She hardly ever went out, and she had very little standard of comparison. She admired her family naively, and believed what they said. She was, of an expansive and confiding nature, easily satisfied and tried to fall in with the mournfulness of her home, and docilely used to repeat the pessimistic ideas which she heard. She was a creature of devotion, always thinking of others, trying to please, sharing anxieties, guessing at what others wanted. She had a great need of loving, without demanding anything in return. Naturally, her family took advantage of her, although they were kind and loved her, but there is always a temptation to take advantage of the love of those who are absolutely delivered into your hands her family were so sure of her attentions that they were not at all grateful for them whatever she did they expected more and then she was clumsy she was awkward and hasty her movements were jerky and boyish she had outbursts of tenderness which used to end in disaster a broken glass a jug upset a door slammed to things which let loose upon her the wrath of everybody in the house she was always being snubbed and would go and weep in a corner her tears did not last long she would soon smile again and begin to chatter without a suspicion of rancour against anybody christophe's advent was an important event in her life she had often heard of him Christophe had some place in the gossip of the town he was a sort of little local celebrity his name used often to recur in the family conversation especially when old jean michel was alive who proud of his grandson used to sing his praises to all of his acquaintance rosa had seen the young musician once or twice at concerts when she heard that he was coming to live with them she clapped her hands she was sternly rebuked for her breach of manners and became confused. She saw no harm in it. In a life so monotonous as hers, a new lodger was a great distraction. She spent the last few days before his arrival in a fever of expectancy. She was fearful lest he should not like the house, and she tried hard to make every room as attractive as possible. On the morning of his arrival she even put a little bunch of flowers on the mantelpiece, to bid him welcome. As to herself, she took no care at all to look her best and one glance was enough to make christophe decide that she was plain and slovenly dressed she did not think the same of him though she had good reason to do so for christophe busy exhausted ill-kempt was even more ugly than usual but rosa who was incapable of thinking the least ill of anybody rosa who thought her grandfather her father and her mother all perfectly beautiful saw Christophe exactly as she had expected to see him, and admired him with all her heart. She was frightened at sitting next to him at table, and unfortunately her shyness took the shape of a flood of words which at once alienated Christophe's sympathies. She did not see this, and that first evening remained a shining memory in her life. When she was alone in her room after they had all gone upstairs— She heard the tread of the new lodgers as they walked over her head, and the sound of it ran joyously through her. The house seemed to her to take in new life. The next morning, for the first time in her life, she looked at herself in the mirror carefully and uneasily, and without exactly knowing the extent of her misfortune, she began to be conscious of it. She tried to decide about her features one by one, but she could not she was filled with sadness and apprehension she sighed deeply and thought of introducing certain changes in her toilet but she only made herself look still more plain she conceived the unlucky idea of overwhelming christophe with her kindness in her naive desire to be always seeing her new friends and doing them service she was forever ever going up and down the stairs bringing them some utterly useless thing insisting on helping them and always laughing and talking and shouting her zeal and her stream of talk could only be interrupted by her mother's impatient voice calling her christophe looked grim but for his good resolutions he must have lost his temper quite twenty times he restrained himself for two days on the third he locked his door rosa knocked called understood went downstairs in dismay and did not try again when he saw her he explained that he was very busy and could not be disturbed she humbly begged his pardon she could not deceive herself as to the failure of her innocent advances they had accomplished the opposite of her intention they had alienated christophe he no longer took the trouble to conceal his ill-humour he did not listen when she talked and did not disguise his impatience. She felt that her chatter irritated him, and by force of will she succeeded in keeping silent for a part of the evening. But the thing was stronger than herself. Suddenly she would break out again, and her words would tumble over each other more tumultuously than ever. Christophe would leave her in the middle of a sentence. She was not angry with him. She was angry with herself. She thought herself stupid, tiresome, ridiculous. All her faults assumed enormous proportions, and she tried to wrestle with them, but she was discouraged by the check upon her first attempts, and said to herself that she could not do it, that she was not strong enough, but she would try again. But there were other faults against which she was powerless. What could she do against her plainness? There was no doubt about it the certainty of her misfortune had suddenly been revealed to her one day when she was looking at herself in the mirror it came like a thunderclap of course she exaggerated the evil and saw her nose as ten times larger than it was it seemed to her to fill all her face she dared not show herself she wished to die but there is in youth such a power of hope that these fits of discouragement never lasted long she would end by pretending that she had been mistaken she would try to believe it and for a moment or two would actually succeed in thinking her nose quite ordinary and almost shapely her instinct made her attempt though very clumsily certain childish tricks a way of doing her hair so as not so much to show her forehead and so accentuate the disproportion of her face and yet there was no coquetry in her. No thought of love had crossed her mind, or she was unconscious of it. She asked little. Nothing but a little friendship. But Christophe did not show any inclination to give her that little. It seemed to Rosa that she would have been perfectly happy had he only condescended to say good day when they met. A friendly good evening, with a little kindness— BUT Christophe USUALLY LOOKED SO HARD AND SO COLD IT CHILLED HER. HE NEVER SAID ANYTHING DISAGREEABLE TO HER, BUT SHE WOULD RATHER HAVE HAD CRUEL REPROACHES THAN SUCH CRUEL SILENCE. ONE EVENING Christophe WAS PLAYING HIS PIANO. HE HAD TAKEN UP HIS QUARTERS IN A LITTLE ATTIC AT THE TOP OF THE HOUSE SO AS NOT TO BE SO MUCH DISTURBED BY THE NOISE. DOWNSTAIRS ROSA WAS LISTENING TO HIM, DEEPLY MOVED she loved music though her taste was bad and unformed while her mother was there she stayed in a corner of the room and bent over her sewing apparently absorbed in her work but her heart was with the sounds coming from upstairs and she wished to miss nothing as soon as amalia went out for a walk in the neighbourhood rosa leaped to her feet threw down her sewing and went upstairs with her heart beating until she came to the attic door. She held her breath and laid her ear against the door. She stayed like that until Amalia returned. She went on tiptoe, taking care to make no noise. But as she was not very sure-footed and was always in a hurry, she was always tripping upon the stairs, and once while she was listening, leaning forward with her cheek glued to the keyhole. She lost her balance and banged her forehead against the door. She was so alarmed that she lost her breath. The piano stopped dead. She could not escape. She was getting up when the door opened. Christophe saw her, glared at her furiously, and then, without a word, brushed her aside, walked angrily downstairs, and went out. He did not return until dinner-time paid no heed to the despairing looks with which she asked his pardon, ignored her existence, and for several weeks he never played at all. Rosa secretly shed many tears. No one noticed it. No one paid any attention to her. Ardently she prayed to God. For what? She did not know. She had to confide her grief in someone. She was sure that Christophe detested her and in spite of all she hoped it was enough for her if christophe seemed to show any sign of interest in her if he appeared to listen to what she said if he pressed her hand with a little more friendliness than usual a few imprudent words from her relations set her imagination off upon a false road the whole family was filled with sympathy for christophe The big boy of sixteen, serious and solitary, who had such lofty ideas of his duty, inspired a sort of respect in them all. His fits of ill-temper, his obstinate silences, his gloomy air, his brusque manner, were not surprising in such a house as that. Frau Vogel herself, who regarded every artist as a loafer, dared not reproach him aggressively, as she would have liked to do with the hours that he spent in stargazing in the evening leaning motionless out of the attic window overlooking the yard until night fell for she knew that during the rest of the day he was hard at work with his lessons and she humored him like the rest for an ulterior motive which no one expressed though everybody knew it rosa had seen her parents exchanging looks and mysterious whisperings when she was talking to christophe at first she took no notice of it. Then she was puzzled and roused by it. She longed to know what they were saying, but dared not ask. One evening, when she had climbed on to a garden seat to untie the clothesline hung between two trees, she leaned on Christophe's shoulder to jump down. Just at that moment her eyes met her grandfather's and her father's. They were sitting smoking their pipes and leaning against the wall of the house. The two men winked at each other, and Eustace Euler said to Fogel, "'They will make a fine couple.' Fogel nudged him, seeing that the girl was listening, and he covered his remark very cleverly, or, so he thought, with a loud, "'Hm, hm," that could have been heard twenty yards away. Christophe, whose back was turned, saw nothing, but Rosa was so bowled over by it that she forgot that she was jumping down and sprained her foot. She would have fallen had not Christophe caught her, muttering curses on her clumsiness. She had hurt herself badly, but she did not show it. She hardly thought of it. She thought only of what she had just heard. She walked to her room. Every step was agony to her. She stiffened herself against it so as not to let it be seen. A delicious, vague uneasiness surged through her. She fell into a chair at the foot of her bed, and hid her face in the coverlet her cheeks were burning there were tears in her eyes and she laughed she was ashamed she wished to sink into the depths of the earth she could not fix her ideas her blood beat in her temples there were sharp pains in her ankle she was in a feverish stupor vaguely she heard sounds outside children crying and playing in the street and her grandfather's words were ringing in her ears she was thrilled she laughed softly she blushed with her face buried in the eiderdown she prayed gave thanks desired feared she loved her mother called her she tried to get up at the first step she felt a pain so unbearable that she almost fainted her head swam she thought she was going to die she wished to die and at the same time she wished to live with all the forces of her being to live for the promised happiness. Her mother came at last, and the whole household was soon excited. She was scolded, as usual, her ankle was dressed, she was put to bed, and sank into the sweet bewilderment of her physical pain and her inward joy. The night was sweet. The smallest memory of that dear evening was hallowed for her. She did not think of Christophe. She knew not what she thought. She was happy." The next day, Christophe, who thought himself in some measure responsible for the accident, came to make inquiries, and for the first time he made some show of affection for her. She was filled with gratitude and blessed her sprained ankle. She would gladly have suffered all her life if, all her life, she might have such joy. She had to lie down for several days and never move. She spent them in turning over and over her grandfather's words— AND CONSIDERING THEM, HAD HE SAID, THEY WILL? OR THEY WOULD? BUT IT WAS POSSIBLE THAT HE HAD NEVER SAID ANYTHING OF THIS KIND? YES, HE HAD SAID IT. SHE WAS CERTAIN OF IT. WHAT? DID THEY NOT SEE THAT SHE WAS UGLY? AND THAT Christophe COULD NOT BEAR HER? BUT IT WAS SO GOOD TO HOPE. SHE CAME TO BELIEVE THAT PERHAPS SHE HAD BEEN WRONG, THAT SHE WAS NOT AS UGLY AS SHE THOUGHT. She would sit up on her sofa to try and see herself in the mirror on the wall opposite, above the mantelpiece. She did not know what to think. After all, her father and her grandfather were better judges than herself. People cannot tell about themselves. Oh! Heaven, if it were possible! If it could be! If! She never dared think it! If! If she were pretty! Perhaps also she had exaggerated Christophe's antipathy, No doubt he was indifferent, and after the interest he had shown in her the day after the accident did not bother about her any more. He forgot to inquire. But Rosa made excuses for him. He was so busy. How should he think of her? An artist cannot be judged like other men. And yet, resigned though she was, she could not help expecting with beating heart a word of sympathy from him when he came near her. A word only— a look her imagination did the rest in the beginning love needs so little food it is enough to see to touch as you pass such a power of dreams flows from the soul in such moments that almost of itself it can create its love a trifle can plunge it into ecstasy that later when it is more satisfied and in proportion more exacting it will hardly find again when at last it does possess the object of its desire Rosa lived absolutely, though no one knew it, in a romance of her own fashioning, pieced together by herself. Christophe loved her secretly and was too shy to confess his love, or there was some stupid reason, fantastic or romantic, delightful to the imagination of the sentimental little ninny. She fashioned endless stories, and all perfectly absurd. She knew it herself, but tried not to know it she lied to herself voluptuously for days and days as she bent over her sewing it made her forget to talk her flood of words was turned inward like a river which suddenly disappears underground but then the river took its revenge what a debauch of speeches of unuttered conversations which no one heard but herself sometimes her lips would move as they do with people who have to spell out the syllables to themselves As they read so as to understand them when her dreams left her she was happy and sad she knew that things were not as she had just told herself but she was left with a reflected happiness and had greater confidence for her life she did not despair of winning christophe she did not admit it to herself but she set about doing it with the sureness of instinct that great affection brings the awkward ignorant girl contrived immediately To find the road by which she might reach her beloved's heart. She did not turn directly to him, but as soon as she was better and could once more walk about the house, she approached Louisa. The smallest excuse served. She found a thousand little services to render her. When she went out, she never failed to undertake various errands. She spared her going to the market, arguments with tradespeople. She would fetch water for her from the pump in the yard. She cleaned the windows and polished the floors in spite of Louisa's protestations, who was confused when she did not do her work alone. But she was so weary that she had not the strength to oppose anybody who came to help her. Christophe was out all day. Louisa felt that she was deserted, and the companionship of the affectionate, chattering girl was pleasant to her rosa took up her quarters in her room she brought her sewing and talked all the time by clumsy devices she tried to bring conversation round to christophe just to hear of him even to hear his name made her happy her hands would tremble she would sit with downcast eyes louisa was delighted to talk of her beloved christophe and would tell little tales of his childhood trivial and just a little ridiculous but there was no fear of rosa thinking them so she took a great joy and there was a dear emotion for her in imagining christophe as a child and doing all the tricks and having all the darling ways of children in her the motherly tenderness which lies in the hearts of all women was mingled deliciously with that other tenderness she would laugh heartily and tears would come to her eyes Louisa was touched by the interest that Rosa took in her. She guessed dimly what was in the girl's heart, but she never let it appear that she did so. But she was glad of it, for of all in the house she only knew the worth of the girl's heart. Sometimes she would stop talking to look at her. Rosa, surprised by her silence, would raise her eyes from her work. Louisa would smile at her rosa would throw herself into her arms suddenly passionately and would hide her face in louisa's bosom then they would go on working and talking as if nothing had happened in the evening when christophe came home louisa grateful for rosa's attentions and in pursuance of the little plan she had made always praised the girl to the skies christophe was touched by rosa's kindness He saw how much good she was doing his mother, in whose face there was more serenity. And he would thank her effusively. Rosa would murmur and escape to conceal her embarrassment. So she appeared a thousand times more intelligent and sympathetic to Christophe than if she had spoken. He looked at her less with a prejudiced eye and did not conceal his surprise at finding unsuspected qualities in her. Rosa saw that she marked the progress that she made in his sympathy and thought that his sympathy would lead to love she gave herself up more than ever to her dreams she came near to believing with the beautiful presumption of youth that what you desire with all your being is always accomplished in the end besides how was her desire unreasonable should not christophe have been more sensible than any other of her goodness and her affectionate need of self devotion? But Christophe gave no thought to her. He esteemed her, but she filled no room in his thoughts. He was busied with far other things at the moment. Christophe was no longer Christophe. He did not know himself. He was in a mighty travail that was like to sweep everything away, a complete upheaval. End of section 25